Welcome back to the Grand Valley Community Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you to meet Jesus and grow in faith. So today is the third week of our Marriage Killers series. We've been talking about the things that will kill our marriages if we're not careful. And this isn't a series just for married couples. It's for people who even aren't married or maybe you're never planning on being married or maybe you were married and now you're not. But we still believe that through talking about this, these are some of the key relational things and core things that that affect all of us. And so we started off by talking about the myths of marriage. We talked about what the world and Hollywood often says about marriage, and then compared that with what God says through Scripture about marriage. And then last week, Vicki led us through how fighting dirty will kill your marriage, how when we fight dirty with each other, it leaves scars and wounds. But when we fight fairly and when we learn how to handle issues together, when we learn to contend with things, we actually get to build each other up and grow in our relationship and so one of the things we do around here is we have the Uversion event. If you want and you've got a smartphone with you, you can log on to the app and you can follow along with us as we go. And there's also a link to a little form. And what we do is I wanna, I'm going to ask some questions of you as we go. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond and join in the conversation that way. So today we're talking about one last marriage killer. And this one really does apply to every single one of us because it's not something that's unique just for couples. In fact, it's something that is just part of being human. If we are breathing, if we have a heartbeat, this is an issue that we struggle with. And so today we're talking about selfish behavior. We're talking about selfishness, about being centered only on ourselves instead of recognizing the people around us. And so you might be thinking right away, Brian, I'm not a selfish person. I'm just going to check out. Well, let me ask you three questions. When is the last time you convince someone to go to the restaurant you want to go to or the coffee shop you like more than the one they like. You don't have to stick up your hand. You don't have to put anything in your version. Just think about it. See, for me, this happens every single time someone says, hey, let's meet at Tim Hortons. Starbucks, come on. Fraser Sneath, Forbidden Flavors. That's real coffee. Anyways, second one. When's the last time you sat down to you know, watch a TV show or you're heading to the theater, you want to go watch a movie, and you convince the people you're going with to watch the movie you wanted to see. You know, guys, action movies, you know, we're probably like, I don't want to go to that rom-com. I want to go to the action movie. Or, or how about this for one? When you're grocery shopping and you want to splurge and get a little treat, do you get the treat that you like or the one that your spouse likes? See, for me, this is super easy because all I have to do is get anything that is remotely spicy and I know Nikki won't touch it. It's, 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 it's great. It worked. See, all of those things, even though how small they are, are times when we put ourselves and our desires and our wants above those of the people we're around. See, if we're human, we struggle with this because it's default. It's, our, it's natural to want what is good. It's natural to want what's beneficial. But what isn't natural and what isn't good is when we put our wants and our desires above the good of someone else. When we think only of ourselves. And this is, this is something that we often do subconsciously, and we actually have to kind of bring it up into the forefront of our minds if we want to address it. And it's simple to do. We just have to ask this question, am I being selfish? 
See, if, if I'm grocery shopping and I go down the chips aisle and I see that bag of sea salt and malt vinegar chips that I know I like and Nikki doesn't, I can go, well, I could just grab that, toss it in the cart, and I've got a nice little treat. And I have to sometimes think, am I being selfish in this moment? And the answer is yes, I am. So what do I do? Well, I grab the bag of like sour cream and onion chips and toss them in the cart too and then be like, hey, Nikki, I got you a treat. And then it's just the budget that suffers, right? You know, that's our response, isn't it? See, if we want to address a behavior in our lives, whatever the behavior is, it starts with how do we become consciously aware of it? How do I start becoming aware that my action is actually not who I want to be? I don't want to be a selfish person. No one actually wants to be a selfish person and says, yeah, my goal is to be selfish. No one says that. No one does that. But we actually have to make it a conscious effort to start addressing this. And this isn't just a modern problem either. In fact, this is a problem that goes all the way back throughout human history. And it's why when Paul was writing his letter to the, to the Philippian church and he's trying to encourage them, he had this to say to them. He said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then here's where it gets key. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. He gave up his divine privileges, took on the humble position of slave, and was born as a human being. See, Paul sets probably the highest bar you possibly can. And he says, instead of acting how you want to act, what if instead you try to have the attitude that Jesus has? What if instead we recognize Jesus, who is fully divine, has all the powers of God, chose to release those and step into the world so that he could connect and relate with us? Because he knew that the gap between God and us was too great. And so God, through Jesus Christ, comes and closes that gap to be with us. See, this is an incredibly high bar that Paul's trying to set for this church. He says, have the attitude that Jesus had. Don't be selfish. Give up his, he, you know, look at Jesus' example of how he gave up his divine privileges. Now, even if we get that right, maybe 90, 70, maybe even 50% of the time, don't you think that would help us grow in the ways we want to grow? If even half the time when we want to act in a selfish, self-centered manner, that we actually stop ourselves and says, say, is this really who I want to be? Is this really how I want to act? Even if we did that half the time, think of the difference that it would make in us. And one of the things with whenever we try to change our habits or change our behaviors, we actually, as we do it, the first couple times are always the hardest. I mean, it's, it's you know, if, if you are someone who goes to the gym regularly, you know that the first couple workouts are always the worst. And then as you start building a routine into it, it starts becoming second nature. It starts becoming, hey, when I miss the gym, I miss it. And then if you're like me, you just fall off the wagon and then try again, you know, a couple months later. But, but that comes down to a self-control piece. Are we actually able to carry through on the things that we want to carry through on? Are we actually able to carry through and we say, I want to be less selfish. I want to have the attitude that Jesus had. Are we actually able to follow through and take steps forward on that? See, when I'm talking about this in terms of checking our attitude, of recognizing when we're being selfish, I'm not saying that we need to become a doormat, that we need to deny everything we ever want and put that completely aside and give it up. 
In fact, what this is actually about is saying, I want to give up my selfish behavior, my selfish desires for something that's better. See, Jesus did this. He gave up of his divine privileges to step into the world because he knew what was better was being able to call all of us into a deep relationship with him. That's what, G- that's what God was trying to do. And in fact, in a, in a marriage, in a relationship, this can become really unbalanced if one person wants to work on it and the other person doesn't. You know, the point of it is not that one person always becomes the person who demands their own way and the other person just gives in. One gives, one takes. That's not a balance. That's not a healthy relationship. In fact, we're actually supposed to find balance in this. And Paul, in a, in a letter that he sent to the Ephesian church, he talked about this. He said, Ephesians 5, verse 20, And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the word submit has a lot of baggage in our culture. And again, I'm not talking about just becoming a doormat that everyone walks over. That's not at all what this is talking about. When it says, and submit to one another, it means that as a community of faith, and then further on in this passage, he starts talking about husbands and wives and how we can relate to each other. It's a culture of mutual submission where both parties, where everyone involved is saying, I want to choose to give away my selfish, me-focused desires. And instead, I want us together to focus on what's beneficial and best for all of us. You know, there's a, there's a simple way of remembering this. Instead of choosing what's good for me, choose to desire what's good for we. Okay, it's really cheesy. It sounds like it should be in a children's book. But that's what this is talking about. Mutual submission. Choosing to submit to one another when both people in a relationship, when people in a community together decide to say, hey, I want to do what's best for all of us, not just what's best for me. When I want to do what's best for our marriage, not just what I like the best. When that becomes the equal viewpoint that people share, that's where this mutual submission becomes something that helps us grow and achieve way more than we ever could before. So how do you do this? In, a, in, a, in any form of relationship, because we know it's going to be hard. It's going to take practice. It's going to take grace. It's going to take communication skills. We're going to have to work at it. But how, well, the first step to practice this would be to say, do you actually know your spouse's dreams and hopes and desires? You know, do you actually know the, the ways that they want to grow as a person, the ways that they want to grow in their walk with God? You know, maybe the next step in their career that they're trying to achieve and work towards. Do you actually know that? And when you know that, are you actually trying to do things together that help each other achieve these goals? Do you actually choose to say, hey, I'm going to take on this task to free up your time to focus on that? Or, or whatever it might be. But it's choosing what you will work toward together. It's choosing what you're going to focus on together because the moment we start doing that together approach, it means we start putting aside and minimizing the me-focused approach. And so I want to ask a first question that, I'll, that you can respond to over you version. How do you recognize when you've put your own desires above someone else? This might be a little tough. It might, might require us to do a bit of deep thinking. But how do we recognize when we've put our own priorities first?
it's kind of one of those things that might be a little uncomfortable, but I, but I hope it, it challenges you to think about it. Now, so far we've been talking about selfishness mostly as an attitude, as, as a behavior, as something we, we consciously think of. But we can't talk about selfishness without recognizing that there's actually a second form of selfish behavior that probably every one of us carries in some way that's actually one that's a lot harder to manage. And that's because sometimes when we act in self-centered ways, it's actually rooted in something deeper. It's actually rooted in our insecurities and our fears. Now, in the first week when we were talking about myths of marriage, one of the things I said was that, you know, when you're dating someone or maybe if, if you met online and you're on your online profile, you can hide a lot of character flaws. You can hide a lot of stuff in an online profile. And even when you're dating, you can hide a lot of your baggage and your junk and just all the stuff that we struggle with. You can hide that pretty well. But when you're married and when you're living together with someone, there's no hiding anymore. You can't keep it hidden. In fact, I I said that when we're married, it's like giving your spouse a magnifying glass to see your flaws, you know, and you're standing there with a magnifying glass to see their flaws. See, our insecurities and our fears can often drive us to act in self-centered ways. And there's a reason for that. It's because we're trying to protect, we're trying to guard. It's actually we're trying to control our environment. See, every one of us has some part of an insecurity or a fear, something that maybe stands out that we wish that other people wouldn't see. Or maybe there's a blind spot that we're not aware of, but we're trying to cover for it because we don't know exactly what causes it. Or maybe you had an experience sometime where you tried something, you took a risk, you put yourself out there, and it just, for whatever reason, it fell apart, or maybe it backfired. And these things kind of can harm us and wound us and leave us with this sense of fear about trying whatever that was again. Or maybe someone did something to you that was violent or abusive. And I I hope that's not the case, but in a room this size with this many people, we know that it's true. Now, I want to repeat what Vicky said last week, too. You should never have to suffer through abuse in, it, in any form of a relationship, a marriage, anything. Get help. Abuse is not something you have to suffer through. And the other thing is, is that abuse doesn't just end on its own. Almost every single time, there needs to be some form of outside help. Maybe that's a close friend, a close family member. Maybe that's a counselor. Counselors do amazing work at helping you realize the tools and rec- that, that you have at your disposal to, to come back to a place of health. And sometimes, you know, there needs to be a way where the person is addressed for their behavior. So if, if something like that is what has wounded you, that's something deep and that's something that, that can really affect us. But you know what? There's hope. I'm going to get to this in a moment, but there is always hope. In Jesus, there's always hope for healing. There's always hope for restoration. Even though it might, your life might look very different on the other side of that. Now, every single one of these things creates insecurities. When we, have, when we feel wounded, when we have, you know, something fell apart on us, every one of us has some form of an insecurity or a fear that we would rather keep hidden and not show to other people. And unfortunately, part of the human condition is that we often try to self-medicate for our wounds. We try to come up with the things that would 
make us feel better or prevent us from feeling that pain and that hurt again. And one of the common ways is by trying to control the world around us. Acting selfishly to control the world around us is one of the ways that we self-medicate for our wounds and our insecurities. And it's, I'm, there's no judgment in when I say this. I'm just saying this because this is part of what it is to be human. We don't like it when things hurt. And so we try to find ways to make it not hurt. And sometimes acting selfishly is one of the ways that we do that. We try to control the world around ourselves because we think we'll find security in it. And that can come out in different ways. Sometimes it's materialism. We want to have stuff or we want a big number at the bottom of our bank statement or maybe we want to go on trips and experiences because we think when we do those things we won't remember the pain that that we feel. Or maybe it's even in relationships. You, you name drop and you try to make yourself feel more important by associating yourself with other people who you think they've got their life together and, and, and you want to name drop to be associated with them. Or, or maybe you even try to you know, manipulate people to make them do things for you so that hopefully that, that wound or that pain won't surface again. Or lastly... Or, or maybe one of them is, is workaholism. Maybe we try to overachieve. Or we want to be the person that always gets to swoop in and save the day and rescue someone else because it makes us feel good and it covers for something that we don't want to feel. See, each of these behaviors is actually rooted in our identity. It's actually part of who we are because we're trying to hide from an insecurity. Now, if we want to overcome our insecurities. One of the pieces that it means is actually inviting Jesus to heal our identity wounds. And this isn't like healing a physical wound, but this is actually asking God to say, can you heal the memories I have around this situation? Can you show me where you were in that moment? Can you show me how you were trying to reach out to me or what it was you protected me from? I've been pretty open uh, of talking about my experience with, with anxiety attacks that was happening. Now, it's been almost about a year and a half since the last time I had one. And for me, the root of these anxiety attacks was, was an experience that left me wounded. It left me trying to control and protect because that was my coping mechanism. And I was overworking like crazy because I thought if I just got those things right, then I wouldn't feel the pain of that event, that experience. And what it actually took was it took a lot of counseling. It took a lot of friends that were praying for me. It took a lot of really awful conversations that I didn't want to have where people were forcing me to confront what it was that was making me act this way. And eventually, what I realized was that through every step of that, God was trying to reach to me and say, this is the wound you have that you need to let me heal. And I wasn't letting him. And it finally took recognizing that this was a piece of my identity, this event, this moment that that wounded me became part of my identity that I actually had to say, okay, God, I'll give it to you. I'll let you heal it. But that was a long process, and it wasn't pleasant. See, overcoming our insecurities means inviting Jesus to heal our identity wounds through whatever form that needs to take. Because what Jesus wants and what God hopes for more than anything is for us to find our identity rooted in his love. 
Every one of us, whether we're close to God or far from God, or maybe you got dragged here and you didn't even want to be here this morning. But every one of us, God calls us his children. Think of how a parent loves a child. That's how God loves you. God loves us like his children. And Jesus can replace our brokenness with this identity that he wants to give us. And so here's a second question. How do you remind yourself that your identity is to be found in God's love for you? How do you remind yourself of that? Now, we call this sermon series Marriage Killers, and we're talking about the things that can can kill and harm our marriage, and so we've got to talk about one, and I'm just going to be straight up front. It's going to get real awkward in here, because this is a topic we need to talk about, and we're all mature. We can all handle it, so let's get awkward and talk about this together, because One of the things, if we're talking about marriage, we can't avoid what Scripture has to say about intimacy and sex. Because if we claim to follow Jesus, and if we want to be his followers, and we want to, we recognize God's love for us, and we want to step forward in that, Scripture talks about it, so we've got to talk about it. See, in a marriage, in a a relationship, God created intimacy and sex to be something that is beautiful and great and fun. But he created parameters around it for a reason. Because it's something that when we use it poorly, we can actually wound ourselves and each other with it. But when it's used in the parameters that God created around it, it is meant to be great. But the problem is, is if we have a self-centered view of intimacy and sex in a marriage, there's a couple ways that can come out. One of them is, is we may try to demand our, what we want on our partner where we want to push our own pleasure, our own desires, and we don't care about our spouse, and we just want what feels good for me. Or maybe sometimes our selfishness might say, you know, this is kind of a vulnerable thing, and I'd rather withhold and protect myself, and out of my desire to, to not go to that place of vulnerability with each other, you know, I'm going to withhold and I'm going to pull back. When we only consider our own preferences, our own desires, it doesn't build up our marriage. Now, I'm not saying that you have to do something you don't want to do. What I'm saying is that you need to talk about things together. Is there needs to be a level of communication about this with your spouse to to talk about this and figure out together. Because, like I said, God created sex to be fun in a marriage. He created it to be great. It's something good meant for us. But again, God gave parameters around it. And just like when we go back to Ephesians 5, verse verse 21, you know, submit to one another out of reverence. When we submit and we give each other wholeheartedly to our spouse, that's the foundation, that's the parameter, that's the basis that God created intimacy and sex for. But if we treat it selfishly, it hurts us. And so now there's one more piece, and we're going to go even a little more awkward. So if, if, if you went there to that level of awkwardness, we're going to go just one more, and then we'll stop, I promise. See, sometimes our selfish, our selfish part of ourselves may drive us to seek for intimacy alone and seek for intimacy either from the images on a screen or maybe it's the text in a book or an e-book. And, and this isn't just a guy's problem anymore. In fact, the stats are that the gender gap on the use of things like pornography or, or 
graphic novels and romance novels that really are, well, cross the line from just telling a story into something a whole lot more deeper and graphic. The gender gap in this is closing fast. This isn't just a guy's problem anymore, even though usually we tend to think it is. But here's what's underneath this. Our issues around sex and intimacy usually have an identity piece deep in the core of ourselves. And you might feel stuck. You might feel like, I don't want this to be part of my life. I want to get rid of it, but I don't know how. And it's something that often has a deep level of shame. And to be honest, we have an enemy. We have an opponent that tries to pile and heap shame on us because Satan knows that if he piles shame on us, we're not going to address the problem. We're just going to keep it hidden. And so it actually takes a huge step of bravery to recognize that this is a problem that I need to step forward and I need to do something about. Even if you feel stuck, there is always a way out. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be tough. It's going to be those difficult conversations with your spouse. Or maybe it might be easier to talk to a close, same-gender friend first about it. You know, it might be something that, to be honest, you really need the help of a counselor. Someone who you're not going to actually encounter on a regular basis, but someone who can sit with you and help you figure out the next step to take. Now, I want to do one, say one thing about this. As you're on a process of trying to heal these parts, of trying to heal maybe our self-centered focus on intimacy, There might be stumbling times. There might be relapses. And so I want to just say something. If if your spouse or someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm struggling with this and I want to change it, you know, it's okay to say, yeah, you're sleeping on the couch for a couple weeks. It's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to set parameters. But one thing that is not okay is to make an ultimatum. If you make an ultimatum and say, if you do that thing ever again, we're done, that doesn't help. Because all it does is it makes it so that your spouse can never talk to you again about this problem. They may want to come to you for help, but that closes the door. So please, no ultimatums. There might be boundaries. There's going to be parameters. There's going to be having to be ways that you set to how you'll work on this together and figure out which are the outside resources to help. But mutually agreed upon boundaries are good. Because mutually agreed upon boundaries are things that help us walk together and be focused together in approaching this. Okay, is that awkward enough for us? We're good with that? Because here's the piece. Here's the piece that always brings me hope in this. Jesus wants us to experience his freedom. There is an incredible freedom and joy and love in who God has created us to be and who he wants us to be. In fact, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is from Luke 4. And it's early, early in Jesus' ministry. He's just had his baptism. He was out being tempted in the wilderness. And he comes to his hometown synagogue, his hometown church. And he shows up and they invite him to speak. And they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. Now, it's not like a Bible where you can flip to a page. This is like a giant rolled up scroll. And Jesus takes it and he rolls and rolls and rolls. And he finds this passage and he reads it to them. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. So Jesus tells this passage to all the people in his hometown of Galilee. And then he sits down 
And everyone looks at him and says, well, you're supposed to explain it. Like, that's the pattern. You read scripture and then you explain it. And what Jesus says to them shocks them. And he says, this very day, this passage of scripture has come true. Jesus has come. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He came to bring good news. He came to set us free. That's what Jesus came to do. So no matter what our identity wound is, no matter what is the cause of our selfishness, no matter what the cause of our pain or our hurt, whatever it is, Jesus wants to set us free from that so we can live in the freedom that he has for us. So no matter how deep down the hole you feel like you are, it's not terminal. Jesus wants to be there with you. He is there with you and wants to help you come out of it and back to freedom. may not be easy, but here's the promise. God is always with you. Even in the depths of the hole, even in the darkest room, even in the, the pit of despair, God is with you and he wants to lead you into experiencing his peace and his freedom and his love. And so there's a third question to ask to think about. What do you need to start praying about to replace your selfishness with a Christ-like attitude? What's maybe the prayer that you might have? Now, we're, we're running over time. I kind of went a little carried on there. So we're not going to do an open conversation, but I am going to just see what's in the, in, um, the version event. And maybe what I'll do is I'll kind of just share some of what's been, been posted in here. <laughs> oh, this is a great one. For the first question, how do you recognize when you've put your own desires above someone else? My wife lets me know. (laughs) Gold star to whoever put that in. (laughs) But that's it. Do we let each other know? And and I, I I hope that when you say that, my wife lets me know in a very loving and caring and gentle way. Right? And then here's another one saying, when I don't consider how my words and actions affect others, or I don't put the focus on them in recognizing you know, when we don't even think about how this might affect someone, that's part of it. And for this last one, what do you need to start praying about to replace your selfishness with a Christ-like attitude? Uh, there's a response here, and, and, and this is great. We need to ask God to help me with forgiveness from past hurts. And you know, if last week, Vicki talked about forgiveness. It was a great message. And even if you go back a couple weeks before that, we were talking about how to not be lonely, and we talked about how do we find community, And how do we keep community? And again, there we talked about forgiveness. So, marriage is tough. You know, in fact, someone before the service this morning said, so when are you doing the marriage killer on children? (laughs) And I laughed. And I said, yeah, you know, that could have been a fourth week. Marriage is hard. Parenting is tough. You know, being in a relationship with people, it's hard. But isn't it worth it at the same point? Isn't the joy that we find in the good of it outweigh what's negative? And see, what I want to challenge us to as a church, and this isn't just for married people, but what in our character needs to grow to overcome our selfishness? Or maybe selfishness totally isn't something that you struggle with on a big scale, but maybe there's something else. What's the part of our character that we want to grow and overcome that we need God's help with, that we need the help of a community around us to deal with. And so this week, I hope you lose sleep over that question. I hope you actually wrestle with this and say, you know, what is it in my life? What's maybe a piece of my identity that I need healing on? 
that I need Jesus to touch, that I need to actually step forward in. And I, I hope and I pray that this year would be a year where God starts showing you the next step in that path. Or maybe you've already taken that first step and I pray that God will show you the next step after that of what will it take to step forward in your relationships with each other and especially in our relationship with God. So that's gonna, that brings our Marriage Killers series to a wrap. This next week, next week, like I said, it's going to be Camp Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun and great to hear about camp. But let me pray for you before we go and before we dismiss. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that you dwell with us and within us and that you want to lead us deeper into a relationship with you. And God, we know that we all have flaws and hurts and pains and, and pieces of ourselves that we don't like. And we know that your desire is for us to experience freedom from those things, that you want to walk with us in that. And so, Father, would you help give us the wisdom to discern what's the next step for us? Give us the grace and the peace and the love for one another that we can walk with each other in this process. And, Father, I pray especially for for marriages, that you would help knit marriages together to be strong, that they would be resilient, that they would handle whatever life throws at them, because they're based on a deep foundation of your love for each of us that we recognize that we are your children. So God, as we go from this place and we go into the rest, into the rest of our weeks, into our homes, to our workplaces, whatever it is, may we carry the grace of your presence with us. And may we share your hope and your love with everyone we come in contact with. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great week, folks. See you next Sunday. We hope this message helps you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information about us, visit gvccbrandon.ca.